Oh baby, a triple. Header of F1 Racing in the next few weeks. Let's get started. And they are going to win! Pierre Gasly wins the Italian Grand Prix! Three cars going wheel to wheel as Perez is caught by Charles Leclerc and his three cars gone off. It's a DNF for MAX. The world championship record is equaled. Lewis Hamilton, seven-time champion of the world. Ooh, baby, a triple. That brings I was trying me desperately to think of something new and original to say, considering that there's not too much going on in the world of F1 right now. But um, not my finest hour. But you know, you've got to got to put something out there, I guess. But um, do you think triple? Do you think triple headers are a, a good idea? Because this is something that's been introduced last year, and mm. then because of the the uh, because of what the pandemic necessitated. And now they're they're bringing them back again. Yeah, I I think there's a danger with triple headers insofar that you get sort of team burnout in terms of the uh, mechanics, in terms of engineers, etc. And, you know, racing drivers, directors, etc. But from a sort of fan's perspective, by having this triple header, regardless of how many races you have, you're extending in people's minds the gap between, let's say, uh, one race and another that's two weeks because it's like oh but there was a triple header that happened you know a few weeks ago back in june july so you know why are we waiting two weeks and you almost stoke up that um that demand or desire for for racing every week which um in my in my opinion i think less is more I, i'd rather wait two weeks for uh somewhere like baku which we know is going to be a fantastic race at a great circuit than just being like Oh, there's France, but don't worry, there's Austria twice. Like, you know, it's kind of just churning it out and, you know, quantity over quality in my view. Especially when other tracks have been cancelled, though, as well, because mm. we, we are going into the, the reserves now, especially after Turkey is yes. not going to be on. And Singapore as well is off the calendar because of, well, because of the pandemic and what's been going on around the globe. So... It, it, mm. it seems to me like it'd be actually a bit sensible to, to say, well, then we'll do Paul Ricard this weekend, then Austria two weeks after, and then yeah. maybe have a double header of two Austrias in a row. But I mean, I'm never really that keen on, on two tracks immediately in a row, unless you get something brilliant, like a, a one wet and one dry track, which uh, yeah. have we, have we had that? Did that occur last year? last year uh, i don't think so no because i remember the first time we went to austria in 2020 which was the season opener that was a crazy race like i think only 11 cars finished and that set up the next one the quote styrian grand prix which was the same track you know the same race essentially but in this race there was very little to speak of so it almost built it up as yeah there's going to be this sort of uh, two weeks in a row and then we're going to go to somewhere else and that's going to happen and it was like no it was you know lots of peaks and then huge troughs so yeah that's the danger in my view of having going to the same circuit twice week after the next but um and uh, yeah and as you say team burnout is a is a big thing as well it is really mm. difficult to pack up a whole paddock and move it somewhere. And yes, two of those races are going to be in the same place, so it doesn't really count. But it doesn't get back. It doesn't really get back the fact that everyone's going to be on it for a very long time. There is going to be no downtime really because you have the drivers debrief, the engineering checks, and stuff like that. The earlier in the week, 
and mm. then you're immediately back into it again and let's face it these people are you know, humans they will want yeah, to do things yeah. like see their family if they can and and go back home we we take it for granted that we are in Europe, for us, it's, it wouldn't be very far. You know, if, if I was traveling around the pack, let's say, because someone heard the podcast and decided to invite us into the paddock for a while, please. Um, you know, getting back to the UK would be relatively easy. Touch wood. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it, that's okay. But then you think of someone like Lance Stroll, and I know his dad's with him, but he, he would have to go out to Canada, or you've got Yuki Sonoda who has to go back to Japan. So mm-hmm. these aren't, this isn't it is quite difficult actually and i i do i do sympathize with the drivers that aren't particularly happy with the triple headers and being away for such an extended period of time because as i say that the f1 doesn't stop in that two-week mm. gap they do the debriefs they do any engineering checks they do some refabrication and they go away and train and so it's a long time to be to well to be up against it so yeah. i think by the time the uh the summer break comes round. They're going to really earn their their uh, their break, have some downtime, especially after the the well the fact that there is always this looming shadow of of COVID nineteen around everywhere. Yeah, and I, and I suppose as well having this triple header in COVID times, I understand that F one in of itself is a bubble, but there's still all those, all those precautions to take in terms of you know quarantining, uh, sanitizing, mask wearing, etc. You know, always being as you say on it, switched on. In terms of for one and you know being in and around uh, the paddock and you know constantly having that buzz with you um yeah I, I suppose it affects people differently some people will you know harness that buzz and be ready to race uh, week after week and um relish relish that energy but there'll be those that ultimately would prefer an extended break between uh, one race and the next so yeah horses for courses i guess i suppose it, it affects people differently but um so as we'll see in uh, Austria and um, Paul Ricard, who who flies and who you know slightly falters because of it. Absolutely, and who is going to fly? Paul Ricard is coming up very very soon. Uh, given that we record this on a Tuesday, so by the time you listen to this, listeners, it's uh, three days ahead. But Tom and I don't know yet. We haven't seen anything. Um, who's who's going to do well at Paul Ricard? Well, um, for those who don't know, there wasn't a French Grand Prix last year owing to the pandemic, so we'll have to go back all the way to 2019 to even get some glimpse of what may happen. But looking at uh, Baku 2019 and Baku 2021, it's quite unclear how useful this is. But anyway, qualifying, it was Hamilton in first, Bottas second, Leclerc third, Verstappen fourth, Norris fifth. And then it finished pretty much the same with Hamilton first, Bottas second, Leclerc third, Verstappen fourth, and Seb Vettel fifth. So we all know that Paul Ricard, this French Grand Prix, is a power circuit. It will benefit uh, Mercedes over Red Bull, I believe. Although, of course, we did say this at Baku, so take that with a pinch of salt. But um, I would be very, very surprised if we don't see a Lewis Hamilton pole at least. Um... If we don't see a Lewis Hamilton win, then that's kind of par for 2021. But surely Lewis Hamilton, at least, you know, Valtteri Bottas as well, probably will be up and around fighting for that pole position come Saturday, don't you think? Yeah, you say as you say, uh, Paul Ricard is a, is a very fast track. It's very open. Um, it's a very very forgiving track as well. It's it's mm. kind of the antithesis to what is Monaco, what is Baku 
the fact that if you put your wheel over the line, you just hit more tarmac. Um, yeah. And uh, it's definitely not a track suited to those who have a problem with flashing lights and bright colours. The that blue and red runoff grippy strips. I'm sure there's a real name for them, but I like calling them as the grippy <laughs> strips. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah. I feel sorry for the drivers when they're driving around there because it's just whipping light, weird colours mm-hmm. around there. It must be like um, it always reminds me of uh, the. Do you know the ride at, at um, Alton Towers called the the Smiler? Oh yes, yes. <laughs> it, yeah. Right, that it reminds me of that. If you know what that is, you can look it up. It's got lots of twirls and swirls and and things. Um, and it's kind of the whole idea of of the ride is that the colours because they're all swirly patterns kind of mess with your eyes and give you a bit of an illusional effect. And I feel that Paul Ricard does that <laughs> to the drivers. It's yeah. There is a very good reason why I think that no other track has gone, do you know what we should do? We should just put down <laughs> multicolored lines everywhere. <laughs> Tom, I think you had a, had a fun fact about uh, the configurations of, of Paul Ricard. Yes, absolutely. So I recently found out that according to the Paul Ricard website, um, it says this track can offer, now I'll slow down here, 167 configurations of this track. Now I, I urge you to go and look up that this track um, on Wikipedia. I'm looking at a satellite image. Now I'm not too sure how there is 167 <laughs> versions of this circuit to be offered, but I don't understand if that's the case. If there are 167 f- configurations, why they're not having a double header in France and just going, hey, let's do it in Austria, but call it the Styrian Grand Prix. Like, I mean, I would be properly cheesed off if I was a uh, a member of the Paul Ricard uh, fan club because just taking the track for a joke, really. Exactly, and you could... Well, uh, firstly, they settled on their current layout, which um, is fine. It, it's It's not my favourite. I do like mm. the pit exit and entrance though because it's so short and sometimes catches drivers off a little bit. But yeah, 167 different configurations, and you're absolutely right. We could have the Austrian Grand Prix, and they'd be like, right, we're doing Paul Ricard in one configuration, and then mm. look, it's the mini Paul Ricard. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know, 89 exactly. laps of uh, a much shorter track or something, or a much longer track. I don't know. You could, I could definitely um, do something there. Um, maybe you could have a one with with perhaps more straights and then another one that's a bit more curvy. So, yes, Hamilton might dominate one weekend, but then it's the next one is favours the ones with more downforce. I don't yeah. know. There is definitely something you could do there. I really liked when we had the Grand Prix back in Bahrain, the fact that we had the inner circuit and then we had the outer circuit, which made mm-hmm. everything far more interesting. So, yeah, we've got this. For some reason, they've selected to do it a stereo. So I guess whoever wins stereo one will, well, looks mighty likely to win stereo. No, yeah, stereo two. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I I think Hamilton will do well at Paul Ricard. But then saying that, I thought he would do quite well at, at Azerbaijan. So you know, what do I know? I think the thing is though is because it's so fast and because there are lots of sort of. Um, flat out areas it isn't one where Verstappen will be able to chase down Hamilton perhaps in the in the very slow twisty turny bits mm-hmm. um so I, I have a funny feeling it's gonna we're gonna we're gonna meet our old friend 
um, ham bot ver or oh, ham ver box. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It'll be one of those two, the, the old twins there. Whether or not Bottas can pick up the pace and um, challenge Verstappen will be another matter. But, you know, I hold out in hope because when I say that McLaren, uh, sorry, when I say that Mercedes do well, in the back of my head, I also have that McLaren might do well as well um, because it's also a fast car and with that Mercedes power unit as well has really come on leaps and bounds. So uh, for me, the real winners, I think, of, of Paul Ricard will be Mercedes. I think they'll need the 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 pick-me-up after the atrocious <laughs> Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Um, sorry, while I'm here on the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, can so- can they pick one? please because it's wildly irritating that they call it the azerbaijan grand prix but it's it's the other places it's baku grand prix like yeah just pick one i just yeah it's really irritating just pick one or the other like this is either the french grand prix or it is the paul ricard grand prix or it's Mm -hmm. you know something else just just pick one you know it's not that difficult and have continuity as well because uh, Barcelona Grand Prix, but then it's the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. Well, one's a one's a city, the other one's a country. Anyway, mm. so yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. Insofar that this is going to be, in my view, well, it's probably too early to call it a make or break period for Mercedes. But if there's not at least one Mercedes uh, victory, if you know, if Hamilton or Bottas doesn't win at least one of the uh, triple header races coming up, then I'd be really, really concerned if I was uh, someone employed by Mercedes, a Mercedes fan, Toto Wolff, anybody involved, because this, these types of circuits are your bread and butter. Like Lewis Hamilton won there uh, in in uh, 2019 in France, and he won as well in the Styrian Grand Prix. So you know, if you can win there, surely he can win uh, in Austria as well. So yeah, I, I would be very concerned if if they don't perform there, and particularly when we consider that. Um, the, the upcoming uh, Paul Ricard Grand Prix, French Grand Prix, whatever you want to call it, um, the record there of Perez is pretty poor. Like He's only been there twice because, of course, this race was uh, only introduced into the calendar in 2018. Um, he's retired and finished 12th, so he's never finished in the points. Uh, and Verstappen, conversely, has finished 4th and 2nd, which is you know, markedly better, but not exactly a, um, a shining light of, of hope and optimism that Red Bull and all their sort of um, associated uh, teams and, and, and fans indeed can have moving forward. So, um, yeah, I think I think the pressure will be on Mercedes, but they have the tools, as we saw at the start of this, uh, this, this season, to really excel at power circuits. And um, I think they will. I think they will. But I, I also think... You know, if you're someone like Daniel Ricciardo, for example, you know I'm keeping on banging this drum, but once again he needs to perform because this circuit, you know, he's, he's with McLaren with a Mercedes engine, he's in a very fast car. Ferrari's catching up, sure, but they're not as fast as McLaren from what I'm seeing. This is going to be a huge race for him to really show his worth because you know once again if he doesn't perform, it's Paul Ricciardo or Austria one or two, then the questions only get louder. Um, in my view, in terms of whether Ricardo is the right person to be partnering up with Lando Norris, because you know currently we're seeing when it comes to Mercedes, sorry, McLaren versus um, Ferrari, you've got two Ferraris that are very consistent. Um, Leclerc isn't too far away from Sainz, and vice versa. And then you've got the classic sort of Red Bull syndrome going on at McLaren, where you've got one driver excelling, 
and the other one just can't uh, just just can't do it for whatever reason. So um, yeah, questions must be asked. I think if um Ricardo can't perform at um well the the home of Red Bull Racing for one where he's done rather well and indeed Paul Ricard. Yeah, I mean that's true, and I think the I think the the, the problem with Ricardo at the moment is perhaps that. Uh, McLaren has fallen down the Verstappen trap where mm. you design a car that fits a certain type of driver but um, and Norris certainly has a, a certain style but I don't know what the excuses are anymore I suppose with Ricardo. It, mm. I give him the benefit of the doubt because I know he's a good driver but on the other hand, he's just not making it work and he's not being that number two that McLaren needs to get third position. Yeah. In my head, McLaren should be challenging for third position. Currently, Ferrari's got that. So <laughs> something's not going right somewhere. And it's very close. I mean, at the end of the day, this is still very, very early in the season. So I guess I will reserve my judgment till later on about perhaps where... McLaren is and what Ricardo's doing but I would like to see him doing uh, sorry challenging I suppose for that fifth position um, uh, maybe sixth position because let's face it the McLaren isn't always going to be massively competitive it can't be because they have to set it up in a certain way but it's not good and it's never good when mm. On one hand, your teammate's doing really well, challenging for second, third, and you're sitting down in eighth. Well, yeah. hold on a minute. Yeah. What, what's what's going wrong there? So, yeah, I don't know. I think Ricardo is... I think Ricardo is going to pick himself up a bit um, later on in the season. When I think of his performance in Renault, again, it started off not so great. And then, well, he got a podium by the end of it. So... Mm. Do bear in mind that it, it seems to fit his pattern that he starts off perhaps not pushing the car and then eventually, once he's comfortable with it, allows him to do some of those awesome late braking, you know, corner magic that he was renowned for and is renowned for in my head. Mm-hmm. I think he's a, I think he's a great talent and a really good pair for Norris. So I think it's just going to take a little bit of time, though, for McLaren to really get the partnership going. A bit like how he was slow in Renault. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think as well. Like after this triple header, we'll be going on to our tenth race of the season, going uh, back to Silverstone. And by that stage, you know, it was very much at the start for for Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, you know, give him time. It's a new car. Um, you just got to you know give him time, and he'll be fine. But you know, after nine or ten races, which is nearly halfway through the season. The argument of, oh, it's a new car, it's new equipment, you know, give them time, that kind of starts to fall away. And I think that's the case as well with Mercedes of, oh, oh, you know, just give them time. They're going through a, a, a sticky patch, you know, it's a freak incident at a Monaco and Baku. They can't explain it. But if they're, you know, tens of points behind either Verstappen, if you're Lewis Hamilton, or behind uh, Red Bull and the constructors, then serious questions have to be asked. And I, I think, unfortunately, as it is, if McLaren fail to finish in third and Ferrari beat them, the scapegoat, in my view, will be Daniel Ricciardo. I don't know if that's fair or not. There's still a lot of racing to go. And same if Mercedes finally lose their grip of the Constructors' and Drivers' Championship or one or the other, then 
the blame will be firmly laid at Valtteri Bottas's door because he hasn't been at the races. And the, the murmurings now that we're seeing and hearing is that it's, it's a done deal. Mercedes have made their decision you know, quite early on in the season. When we think about it, we're only on what? Going to lap seven now that they say, according to Sky Italia and the F1 Insider, that George Russell of Williams will be going to partner Lewis Hamilton next season in the 2022 season and that Bottas will be... Well, maybe returning to Williams. What do you what do you make of this news, Tristan? It fits kind of what with what many people have been muttering around the paddock. Um, he says like he's there um, <laughs> with my ear to the ground. I know that Helmut Marco said the other day that um, Russell should be going to Mercedes, and it would be a mistake if he didn't. And actually, someone else might poach him if they're if they're if they sit on their hands too long. And I think Toto's looking at the new guns, looking at people such as Lando Norris and going, right, well, mm. obviously other teams are making this work for them. Perhaps he's uh, um, looking at how Red Bull took a young Max Verstappen and now that he's challenging Lewis Hamilton. You know, mm. Toto knows that the future of Formula One isn't in current drivers or rather your current lineup your future is always nestled somewhere in the new talent and the up-and-coming talent and george russell is definitely up there with what i would call talent and to some extent i think we have yet to really see what drivers such as george russell giovinazzi um can do because they are hampered by a car that is well, not necessarily as competitive as they otherwise would be. I throw Schumacher into that list as well because mm-hmm. the Haas car is a dog. So I think I think Lewis Hamilton is certainly starting to think about how he exits Formula One. He won't want to do it forever. And I suppose once you've won everything, there is a moment when you think, right, well, I've won F1. I better leave now yeah. um, and let someone else have a go. And also, I think Lewis is clever. I think he knows if he's going to be replaced that he will want to be replaced at a time when there is uncertainty in Mercedes. So that's one option. The other option, if Lewis Hamilton's going to stay on, is to remove Bottas. Now, Bottas only has... uh, His his contract runs out this year. Mm -hmm. And I definitely think that they'll be looking at Bottas's performance very, very carefully and keeping an eye on whether or not George Russell is starting to challenge him in, in Williams, and he has. We saw that they, that mold twice this season, actually. Um, Justin Baku. Uh, mm. Bottas wasn't that far in front of the Williams cars. Um, so, <laughs> it's crazy, really, isn't it? Um, mm. how, how Bottas has fallen so far behind in the last two months. And as and we're now at the point where we're wondering whether or not the the driver that was supposed to really challenge um, Hamilton a bit after Nico Rosberg left is actually going to be ejected out of the team sort of unceremoniously and be put into the place where he he came from originally. And Williams, would you want to go back to Williams from Mercedes? No I mean, way. I guess yeah, exactly. I guess Honestly, they no way. I guess they're kind of like well, he can help develop the car, but. I think if he's out, he would want to go off and do some other racing. Mm. Perhaps mm-hmm. he could go do some 
snow rallying or ice driving or or something like that something cool um yeah. that will that's very different to open wheel single seaters because f1 is although it's the pinnacle of motorsport it's not necessarily the pinnacle of fun and no. there is yeah. a moment i think lots of these xf1 drivers go off and do different things from designing race circuits to entering into different sporting events someone like nico rosberg for example is is and lewis hamilton are both in extreme e which in fact mclaren is going into um next year was announced um so mm-hmm. i think this might be the time for bottas to to pick up perhaps where he left off with some of his his racing career and go for something new um because I don't think he's going to want to to stick with the team that keeps blaming him for things they're doing wrong. I don't think he wants to be in a team where he's always looked down upon. And I think Toto Wolff is going to be looking at George Russell and thinking he's our next up-and-coming talent because he can make a car like Williams work. He is Mr. Saturday because he can get round bloody quick. And in Formula 1, that is all that matters. Mm Mm-hmm. I suppose only time will tell if it is A, true, and B, the right decision if it happens, if Mercedes don't win either the Constructors or Lewis Hamilton doesn't win the drivers. Because, you know, the, the Hamilton-Bottas loving, I suppose loving from Hamilton's side, and so far that he's always had a consistent rear gunner in the form of Bottas since 2017. But as soon as that sort of formula doesn't work, then ultimately, you know, the pack has to be shuffled and changes have to be made. I mean... I, I always thought when Bottas started to sort of, I'm not sure about decline, but not be as good as he first was when he burst onto the scene um, with Mercedes. I thought, uh, you know, am I being a bit harsh? Is he, is he, you know, far better than he's showing and just down on his luck? And I and I still believe he is a good, you know, racing driver. But I, I, I do believe for whatever reason that. He's just being far too tame, has been far too tame and far too obedient when it comes to his Mercedes Mercedes overlords. Like I understand why that's happened because it was a winning formula, but I'm I'm yet to see the fire from Valtteri Bottas and and the real sort of Machiavelli spirit that I, I thought he did show or could show at some points moving forwards. And I mean, for that reason, and considering he's blamed for literally everything, I mean, they couldn't get one of his wheels off in Monaco and he was blamed for not parking the car correctly in the pit lane. I mean, seriously, this is, you know, it's getting quite silly at that point. But um, yes, I think that it will be the right decision to uh, remove Bottas, I suppose. I, you know, as I say, he's a good driver, but it's not working out between him and Mercedes anymore. And he's 31 years old and you've got Russell in the sports. He joined in 2019. He's been with a Williams car, which has pretty much been at the back of the pack since he's joined, through no fault of his own. And I think Helmut Marco is right. It is the logical move. You know, Russell is 23 years old. You want to get him into one of the best cars at an early age, like like what happened with Hamilton, like what's happening with Norris. And you want to go and let the guy show his talent, make mistakes, and improve his racecraft and he's not going to do that I don't think with another year at Williams because I can't see Williams coming on leaps and bounds and become a a point scoring car they once were when Bottas left I think it's going to be another hard season for, for Williams next season and maybe even the season after and 
I, I think, as I say, Helmut Marko is right. It begs the question, why give all this funding and preference to George Russell if you're not going to use him until he's 25, 26, 27 years old? So I'm, I hope this rumour is correct. I, you know, no disrespect to Bottas, but it seems like a very logical move. And apparently we could we could hear an announcement as early as Silverstone, as the rumours say. But, um, I mean, talking about Bottas, his options seem to be Williams. They have two spaces left. But as I say, why would he want to go there? Alpine have one space left as well, but they've signed on Alonso, so maybe my prediction of Bottas to Alpine <laughs> isn't going to ring true. No. Um, I mean, Ferrari have got two excellent drivers booked in. He's not going to Red Bull or Alfa Tauri. Alfa Romeo pick a one driver, the next one's a Ferrari driver. Yeah. He's kind of snookered. That, he that, is. that is it, really. He is, and I think that often happens when you get to the, the very pinnacle with with a team that's so polarizing it, there's always this really odd structure in in formula one where let's take charles Leclerc. yeah he is very much in the ferrari family he joined and in, in as part of the um what we now know is alfa romeo and was very much part of that scuderia group and then from alfa romeo got put into Ferrari Charles Leclerc is not going to turn around and go to McLaren mm. why is he not going to go to McLaren because they've got their own sort of drivers going up different routes and if you're a, if you're an avid follower of Formula 1 you will know this that there, it's very difficult to swap I say families um, in, in F1 and some drivers do it uh, Sebastian Vettel for example um, to me, he's a bit of an outlier because he's raced for Ferrari, Red Bull, and now a Mercedes team. So mm. he really has put his foot in, um, or he's put his, his finger into many pies. But if I'm honest, I think going from Mercedes, he, I don't think Bottas will end up going to anyone else other than the, the following teams. McLaren, Aston Martin, Williams. I yeah. think Alpine is a bit of a pipe dream because they've got Ocon and Alonso. So that, that seat of the, the wise old man to help you out is sort of taken by Alonso. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. McLaren, they've got Ricardo and Norris, two good drivers. And I suppose even if even if um, uh, they didn't want Ricardo, they've got a relatively good pool of people to, to pick from especially from formula two as well with yeah. up and coming drivers such as you know Callum Eilat. um and it's only a matter of time till this there's a bottom up shift in drivers rather than picking from the top mm. so I, I i think this is it for bottas i think you're right he is he is snookered he is in the position where he's driving the best car in with the best team and where do you go from there if you cannot drive the car quickly? Mm. I think there's only one place to go, and that is to gracefully exit out of the sport. I suppose that's kind of why I respected Nico Rosberg about Nico Rosberg at the, at the end of 2016 was the mm. fact that he he won, and then he was like, "Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just back out of the sport now. I'm gonna leave on a high." And now he works yeah. alongside Formula One. And is doing other good things. I think Bottas' talents will be massively wasted if he he, he um, 
it just stayed in Formula One and got miserable. I think it's time maybe that he did other things. Yeah, I mean, could you possibly see Valtteri Bottas becoming a reserve driver like Albon is at the moment, or is that not possible? No, I don't. I don't think he'd settle for that. And it is a mass. It is settling. As although we draw, mm. we we joke about how he's a beige driver. I think he'd just be settling for that. I don't think he'd want to do that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Alex Albon is a reserve driver because he's hoping to get back into the Red Bull. I don't mm. think Bottas would be hoping to get back into the the mercedes or a slower car mm-hmm. it'd be very frustrating but that's not to say you can't do other things i mean look at people like nicky lauda alan prost they yeah. both helped out with teams so he could come on as more of a consulting capacity or i suppose be the new helmet marker if you'd like for <laughs> for a team Imagine. lots of these drivers who don't necessarily have massive success end up coming back and helping out in Formula 1 in other ways. So, you know, I wish Bottas all the success in the rest of the season, but if it doesn't go his way, I really hope he realises that there's way more out there for his talents than just driving behind Lewis Hamilton. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I suppose there is the slim, slim chance he could do an Alonso or Raikkonen, i.e. take a break from the sport and then return a number of years later. But we've got to consider that those two are multi-time world champions and Bottas isn't and I don't think with respect to him this season looking at how he's been going on in terms of racing and getting points is going to happen this year so the the allure almost of you know someone leaving and then coming back is because they were great when they left and they decided to leave for you know off the circuit reasons i.e the sort of politics of F1 but when you consider that Bottas yes he's kind of been sandwiched in the politics of F1 to a degree but Secondly, his his racing hasn't been able to silence those murmurs or, or give him significant leverage or, or, or should I say, uh, a decent rebuttal to those arguments that he was ousted by, you know, the inner workings of Mercedes. So, as I say, very slim chance. Now, I, the, the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, I think Bottas's future, be it a, a racing future, be it a consulting future, be it a, you know... A, a Formula One future in any capacity is not behind the wheel of Mercedes or another team, really. And so ends episode 12 of F1 in Review. Thank you very much, dear listener, for once again listening to the end of another episode of Just Me and Tristan this week. As we say, the start of the triple header will be in the be at the Paul Ricard circuit on the 20th of June. Once that's concluded, we'll be going over to the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg on the 27th of June, and then we'll be staying there for the final race weekend of the triple header of the F1 2021 calendar, starting on the 4th of July and then ending a few days afterwards. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. <laughs>